I'm going to read something that I've uh, prepared and then I'm going to just say a few other words on the community. But we will be coming back to uh, 1 Corinthians 11. So if you get there anyway, that's we're going to come right into 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of what Jesus did in the past. A symbol of our present relationship with him. And a promise of what he will do in the future. The crucifixion of Jesus has a continued significance to all of us who have taken up that cross to follow him. We continue to participate in his death and in the new covenant because we participate in his life. Paul wrote, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks our participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break our participation of the body of Christ. In the Lord's Supper, we show that we share in Christ. We commune with Christ. We are united in him. Jesus said he would not drink the fruit of the vine again until he came in the fullness of the kingdom. Whenever we participate, we are reminded of Jesus' promise. There will be a great banquet, a wedding supper. There will be a celebration. The bread and the wine are rehearsals of what will be the greatest victory celebration in all history. Paul wrote, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We know that he will come again. The Lord's Supper is rich in meaning. That is why it has been a prominent part, I suppose, of the Christian tradition throughout the centuries. But sometimes, church, it has been allowed to become a lifeless ritual, done more out of habit than meaning. When a ritual loses meaning, some people overreact by stopping the ritual entirely. And there are churches today that do not have this every week. The better response should always be, we should restore the meaning. You see this cup? This cup looks insignificant. It looks like nothing in it. Doesn't it? It looks nothing. Absolutely nothing. But Jesus is the one who saves us by that little cup. He's the one who frees us by what's contained in that little cup. I know it's not the blood, the representation, don't take me wrong there. Jesus is the one who loves us because of what's in that cup. The world sees this as just nothing. But this is life. The cup is a reminder, I said, of our past. You are forgiven because of what's in this cup. It's a symbol of your present relationship with him. It's why we're here. But what a promise of the future. When the curtain was ripped in half of the crucifixion, Jesus stood in the gap. So he looks at God and says, God, and God looks down and he sees through Christ, he sees you and me. And Jesus sees you and you look at him and you can see the Father. All because of the blood. 
Remember in the Old Testament, over the arches, by the doors, when the angels saw the blood, saw God's people. This was shared in love. What a cost. That cost God something. It cost God so much that when Christ was crucified, God turned his turn away. Mm. Because all the sin was then put onto Christ and God hates sin. Couldn't look at it for a minute. Couldn't look at it. Because at that moment, Christ became where we should have been. So that, I know we've had the worship team up and they'll do the, the singing and that, but I want you to not, I want, like you're going to listen to it, but I want you to focus on the blood, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't deter your fact from that. We all sing and we all praise God we're doing that. But do sometimes do we forget that what we've just partaken in because we're singing. I know we're singing praise to God. But do not let that do it from your mind. This is life. First Corinthians, and I've just read some of this, but First Corinthians 11 verse 23. For I see from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the loaf of bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body that is for you, for you and me. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this is the cup the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of who? Of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because when Jesus comes back and we are, we are with him, we won't be partaking of this anymore. We, there's no need because we will be with him. He's our future. We should rejoice when we take this. We all look sad and we understand that, but we should be rejoicing because you've got the blood. Let us pray. Father God, words are never, never enough to express the gratitude of the sacrifice that your son made for us. Yes, his body technically was not broken. His bones were not broken upon the cross. Because scripture tells us not one bone of his body was broken. But his body was broken in other ways. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. Amen.
they loved Jesus' grace, but they did not like his truth. And it reminds us, you know, we can, we can know Jesus, K-N-O-W, but if you have no faith, N-O, you won't, really, you won't really be right with him in the end. It doesn't work. And if you're visiting with us today, we want to welcome you uh, to our church. We hope you feel at home. Uh, we're glad you're here uh, because we believe if you, if you see God through his word, through his people, through, through worship, uh, you can really be convinced that he is real and he has a great plan for your life. And we hope that uh, after you leave today, you'll feel uh, that in your heart and in your soul and that we can help you uh, to know God better. Uh, we're going to read on here in the text in Luke chapter 4 as we study through this great gospel. We're going to pick it up in verse 31. So Jesus was in Nazareth and now in verse 31 it says he went down to Capernaum. A town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 35 Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. Verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news spread about him throughout the surrounding area. Verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on him. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them, and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, in verse 42. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Luke chapter 4 here. The title of the sermon is Grassroots Ministry. Grassroots Ministry. Jesus leaves Nazareth, as I said, and heads down to Capernaum. Uh, Nazareth is about uh, 1,150 feet above sea level, uh, and then he descends quite a bit. He actually goes down to the, the, the uh, shores of the Sea of Galilee, down at Capernaum, uh, which is actually 680 feet below sea level. According to Google Maps, if you walk, which Jesus did, been about a, you know eight, nine-hour trip. Jesus being the Son of God, I imagine he took the blue line, not the alternative gray line, which would have taken a little bit longer had he gone that route uh, to Capernaum. And so, uh, so, so Jesus, he, 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 he drops in elevation, but his ministry continues to soar. You know, often in life, uh, it's not the, the complicated, the, the hyped up, the high tech things that end up getting the job done. Just common sense, good old elbow grease and persistence can often get the job done. Walter gave me an amen on water like that. But sometimes we forget that, right? I was a young man. I had my, my second car that I owned. It was a used vehicle. Sweet 92 Honda Civic hatchback anyway. And I uh, love that car. And, and 
you know, it's a new car, but it was, it was a used car, and so you know things would get broken, and, and after a while, the, the the windshield wiper fluid stopped coming out. You know, I just and uh, but I realized I'd never used it before because I bought it, you know, in the summer, and only in the winter did I really need to use that. You know, with the snow and the slush in Ohio where I was living at the time, and so so I'm trying to get the thing to work. I can't get it to work. My my, my good uh, mate Jim, real handy guy, you know, mechanical guy. He comes over, he gets out the manual, you know, he opens up the hood, he. He digs around. He takes the part out. You know, he says, well, it must be the part. So we go to the auto parts store. You know, he finds the right part. I don't know how to do any of this, by the way. And, uh, you know, so, so Jim spends two to three hours, you know, diagnosing, taking the part out. We put in the new part. He goes, okay, go ahead and give it a try. You know, he's under the hood there. So I go back. I, I hit, you know, I hit the stick thing. Nothing happens. He's like, it didn't work. I was like, no, it didn't work. It's scratching his head. He goes into my car. He does it. It works. He says, which way were you moving the, the stick? The arrow, the arrow says back. I said, no, no, no. That arrow says up. He says, no, it says back. And I said, oh, you're right. You're right. Time, money, we wasted. A friendship was put on the line. Because I didn't pull it the right way. That was embarrassing. I lost some man points that day. To me, you know, ministry is always pretty simple. Let's be pulling in a clear and obvious direction toward Jesus. And I appreciate Ricky's communion. It's all about the blood, right? It's a simple yet profound thing. We've got to stay focused on Jesus. We've got to stay connected to his work on the cross. Let's not get too fancy here. Let's not get too complicated. We don't need 16 programs taking the church in 16 different directions. We just need to keep following Jesus. And Jesus here gives us some incredible, incredible staples uh, of his ministry that he began him with and that he ended him with that we can really implement into our lives that I believe can help us uh, to flourish and soar just as Jesus' ministry is doing here. Uh, so three quick ideas here from the text tonight as we close out our time together. The first thing here that Jesus used that was grassroots was he taught the truth. We've got to be teaching the truth. Luke 4, in verse 32, as he goes to Capernaum, it says, He taught in the Sabbath in the synagogue. And they were amazed, it says, at his teaching in verse 32, because his words had authority. And then he encounters a demon-possessed man who was, who was apparently in the synagogue at that time. And I will get the demon possession today. I think uh, Satan, Satan he, he brought an onslaught when Jesus arrived. It was everywhere. The, the demon possession was, was, was at its peak. And Jesus, of course, uh, you know, uh, brought his power and changed uh, the face of history. And I don't think we're dealing with what they were dealing with back then. Because Satan was, he was in full effect at this point. And, of course, Jesus' work on the cross would push Satan back uh, forever. Not completely yet, but forever, uh, you know, in this sense with this demon possession. And so in verse 35, uh, you know, the demons start to speak, start to call Jesus for who he is. And Jesus, of course, rebukes them. And in verse 36, it says, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are with authority and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. You know, rabbis in Jesus' day, they would speak uh, in another rabbi's authority. They would quote other rabbis who are well-known or famous. Or they would quote the, the Bible themselves. But Jesus comes upon the scene. And yes, sometimes he quotes the Old Testament. But who does he quote? Well, go back to, uh, go, go, go back to Luke 4 here. Um, we just read 32 and 35 to 36. Well, in Luke 4 verse 24, who is he quoting there? He's quoting himself. I tell you. 
I tell you, his authority was himself. Jesus taught truth about God, his word, the world, and our very selves. And since it is truth, uh, it says there in verse 36, we just read, it has power and authority. You know, we get uneasy sometimes as people with the ideas of, of power and authority, right? But Jesus' power and authority, it, it's perfect. It's perfect. And it's used, of course, for the defeat of evil. He, he drives out this impure spirit uh, in this demon-possessed man. Um, you know, this spiritual realm, uh, you know, was very visible, as I said, in Jesus' time. And he defeated it completely, um, you know, in that time and in that way. You know, good power and authority, though, as much as we fear it, is actually necessary sometimes to combat evil. Good power and authority uh, is sometimes vital in the face of evil. And Jesus' ministry uh, perfectly displays that here uh, and all throughout uh, the three years of it. Uh, and, and so you notice, you know, where, where is the power at this point? It's in his words. His very words unleash that power and that authority. And that's why the people in Capernaum, they're just they're blown away. They've never seen anything like it. You know, there's a lot of chatter today in society because of uh, technology, the Internet, social media. There, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of chatter. And we, and we all hear it. We all hear it, right, in various forms, uh, in various ways. At the teen uh, disciple retreat, you show up, you drop your phone in a box, and you get your phone back when you leave. And it's not done to punish the teens. It's not done to belittle the teens. And I appreciate that. It's done to help them have some quiet so they can really hear God and, and hear one another. And I thought, hmm, maybe we should do that as a church back in Birmingham. Imagine we show up on Sunday, drop it in the box. Label it, drop it in the box. We'd be freaking out some of us, right? Because, because we get so used to the chatter. We get so used to the chatter. But sometimes, unfortunately, there's so much chatter, we can't hear the words that really matter. I'm a potent. I don't even know it. I didn't mean to do that. But uh, it's so important. It's so important. You know, not just the chatter out there, but even the chatter in, in our own minds. Even the chatter amongst one another. Right? We're, we're, it, it, it's there, but, 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 but is the truth, the, the true words of God, the thing that is driving us and pushing us forward, the things that are correcting us and changing us, the things that are motivating us, is it really the truth from God's word? Or is it something else? And if it's not the truth from God's word, it's not going to have a whole lot of power. And it's not going to have a whole lot of authority. Against the evils and the things that plague us in our lives. You know, do we love the truth? There's a great prayer from arrogance that thinks it knows all truth. From laziness content with half-truths. From cowardice afraid of the truth. God of truth, deliver me. We need to keep praying that prayer. We need to keep living out those words. You know, I love uh, Hebrews 4, 12-13, the message... Which is a paraphrased version of the New Testament, right? It says, God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel. Cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. You know, we can focus a lot on, on the church, you know, police it in a sense of evil and corruption. And, and amen, that's necessary. We have to keep doing that. that that's, that's part of being the church. We've got to deal with sin when it, when it pops up. 
But we've got to be way more focused on the truth as revealed in God's Word. If we're way more focused on that, we'll deal with those things as they come. As Jesus said in John 8, 31-32, If you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth. And the truth, the truth, will set you free. And so, amen, it's not just hearing the Word of God, but, but, but holding to it. Holding to it. Uh, which can be just as challenging in its own way. The truth. We, we need it. We need to be teaching it to each other. We need to be bringing it to a, a, a lost and, and crazy world. We need to be bringing that truth. We need to hold to it. We need to cling to it. We need to teach it. And that is grassroots ministry that Jesus started and that we must continue. So teaching truth here. The second thing is caring compassion. We see teaching truth, but we also see caring compassion. You know, our time here, it does matter. We're hearing the word of God. We're proclaiming its truth. But we've got to take it. We've got to go out these doors, right? And do something with it. You know, Jesus, he leaves the synagogue. And in verse 38, he leaves the synagogue and he goes to uh, the home of Simon. Of course, who he'll later name Peter. And Simon's mother-in-law is suffering, it says, from, from a high fever. The Bible never says Jesus came to seek and save those with the flu. I don't think it says that. She, you know, she had you know, a virus, maybe it was influenza, we don't really know. But it seems to me, after a long day's work, Jesus could have you know, kind of left that to, to itself. Right? But, but, but he comes and he, he heals her. He heals her so significantly that she gets up and waits on them. You know, he, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just stop the fever. He brings her back to full health. Jesus had more important things to attend to in his time. He only had three years right, in his ministry. And that's what happens uh, later on. He makes that clear. He goes on uh, to heal the whole village in verse 40. Everyone who was sick, you know, the, the men who claim they have powers from God to heal to heal people today, it's very orchestrated and calculated, and and it's never it's never everyone and everything. Jesus did he healed everyone and everything whenever he chose to, according to verse forty. Amen. But in verse forty two, at daybreak, it says he went off to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and we'll come back to that here at the end. But what does he say? He says, "I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent." They wanted to come back and hang out. Because he's, he's doing great things. And he says, hey, I didn't come here. I didn't come here to heal people. I came here to seek and save what was lost by preaching the word. And so his mission was clear, to seek and save the lost. But as he did this, he was constantly showing compassion and care. And I think sometimes we can kind of go to one or the other. We can be all about the Great Commission. Matthew 28, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know, we've got to make disciples. we just got to preach the word. That's, that's what matters. Nothing else matters besides that. Or we can be all about Matthew 22, 37 to 40. No, it's all about love. The greatest commandment. And we can take the great commission and, 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 and fight it with the greatest commandment. That makes no sense biblically, by the way. They're in the same gospel. No, Matthew 22 and Matthew 28 work beautifully together. Perhaps Matthew 28 is the engine. And Matthew 22 is the fuel, or whatever, whatever analogy you want to make, right? They're both vital, they're both important, and they work very well together. And I think you see them very clearly both in Jesus here. He, he takes time to take care of Simon's mother-in-law, 
And when they come back asking for more the next day of his healing, he says, no, 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 i got to keep preaching the word. i got to keep preaching the word. But we are reminded here of that heart, to have that compassion and that care. You know, Jesus cared even in the little things. And often in the Gospels, he, he stops to meet the needs of, of sick individuals, children, the poor, etc. And to me, you know, I know I should be compassionate. I know I should care as a Christian. I know I should love people. That's, I think, very obvious. And it's one of the great tenets of the Christian faith, no doubt. But I think the real test of, of how much I really care for people is when I'm busy. And I don't know many people who aren't busy uh, these days. Um, you know, and, and I appreciate, I appreciate uh, you know, us giving to Hope Worldwide. I think that's awesome. Uh, you know, I think we need to continue to do that. I, I appreciate us trying to start a, a local project right now by supporting uh, the BCM ministry and going down there and serving the poor there. And, and I want to encourage you to, to sign up and volunteer to do that, as Lawrence and uh, uh, um, Chris shared earlier. Um, but I think that the real challenge is, I, I think sometimes we, sometimes we cannot make things. Hey Amen. I get that. You can't make you know, those opportunities. Sometimes maybe they don't fit in your schedule. But, but maybe some of us are just too busy to take care of the poor. Maybe some of us are just too busy to, to really love people. And if so, maybe we're too busy to be like Jesus. And that's a scary thing. And I hope that doesn't, that doesn't uh, apply to us. But perhaps it does. You know, I, I feel this every Sunday. Every Sunday I'm driving here. And the route I take with my family, there's always a homeless guy on the route. He's there every Sunday without fail. And, I, and I've, stopped, I've stopped once or twice now. But today when I was putting the sermon together, I thought, oh man. You know, so I was thinking, of the, you know, am, am I too busy going to church to, to love this guy who's homeless on the streets? So my family has said, we have some plans in, in, in operation to deal with that. And to do a better job of that. Caring compassion. Caring compassion. It does matter. And I want to remind us that it also matters in the church. Because then, man, we should go help the poor. We should go help the homeless. I'm all for that. But Galatians 6.10 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we, we, we better not be neglecting our brothers and sisters in Christ. First and foremost, we've got to be looking out for them. And I find, and I find one kind of comes with the other. Because again, it's just, it's just the heart of compassion and care for those who are, who, who are down, for those who are, who are in need. Maybe you can't make BCM times, but, but you can go visit one of the brothers or sisters who, who are shut-ins, who can't get out to see the church. You know, Do we think about those people? They're members of our, our local church, but they can't make it to church physically to be with us. So we should go bring the church to them. Are we thinking about those people? You know, Lynn and Tony and even Paul. You know, Paul hasn't been able to make it as much lately. Are we thinking about those people? And, and we could go on and on. Kids' kingdom. You know, serving in the cafe downstairs, helping out with the sound, you know, whatever it might be. You know, are we, are we doing good to the family of believers? It comes from that heart of Jesus to just care and have compassion. And what's inspiring about this passage to me is, is sometimes we think it's not a big deal. It's just a little thing. But Jesus does this little thing, right, for Simon, uh, Simon's mother-in-law. And then in verse 40, he does a big thing. He heals the whole village, everyone who is sick. He heals them all. When little things uh, get right in our hearts, God uh, oftentimes then brings us some big things and some amazing things to do with that same heart. And that story Mwamba shared about the, the guy, you know, who was, who was uh, you know, he found a, a way out of his addiction through Odette. It's just a little thing. Probably no one probably thought much of it. Fifteen years later, he's a doctor. 
You think, whoa, that little thing has, 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 has transformed someone's life, and now that guy's life is transforming others. Little random acts of compassion can become huge things when they're given to the hands of God. And that's what, of course, uh, Jesus himself said. He's, he's given a parable about the last days and God will separate the sheep from the goats. And to the sheep, you know, he says, you know, you're going to come be in heaven because I was hungry and you gave me some food. I was thirsty and you, you gave me something to drink. And it says the sheep go, we don't, when do we do that? When do we do that? And, and Jesus here is the king and he says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine... You did for me. You know, Jesus cared for one. He cared for the many because everyone matters. Everyone matters. We've got to preach the good news, right? But we've got to do it with compassion and care and love. <coughs> Grassroots ministries where Jesus is alive and working are filled with compassion. Compassion for one another and the poor around us. Jesus gives us a great example of that in his ministry here. Uh, so teaching truth, caring compassion, and finally here as we close out, Sabbath strength. Sabbath strength. You may look at the first two points and feel a bit like me. I'm exhausted and overwhelmed already and the week hasn't begun. I gotta go out and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta teach truth. I gotta have compassion and care as I go and I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Well, again, look at the example of Jesus. What does he do after this long day? In verse 42, at daybreak, which would have been the next day after the Sabbath, he goes out to a solitary place. He goes to, to recharge. And actually, uh, this was the next day after the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath, um, uh, you know, amongst the Jews, uh, it started actually, uh, their, their day didn't start at midnight. Their day started at sunset, right? So sunset was, was the new day. Uh, and, so, and so Jesus was, was, was healing, you know, the village. It says after sunset in verse 40, the villagers, if they were devout Jews, they wouldn't have traveled to visit Jesus because that would have broken the Sabbath, right? And so... And so they would have waited until after the Sabbath was over, which was after sunset, and then gone to Jesus, the whole village, to be healed. And that's exactly what you see here. So this actually is the next morning after the Sabbath, the, the first day of the week for the Jews. And, and what is Jesus doing? He's, he's having his own personal Sabbath. Because he didn't rest much on the Sabbath from what I can read. He was you know, healing and preaching and teaching uh, you know, the uh, entire day. Um, and that's exactly what it says there, right, in chapter 4 and uh, verse 42. So Jesus, he had to recharge. He had to regroup. And of course, so do we. And it's not a license for selfishness and laziness. I think oftentimes we can use it uh, for that. It coincides uh, with teaching the truth, with, with caring compassion. Uh, and it's really done to get, us, to get us back to the work of the Lord. It's not done just to veg out and, and be lazy and indulge in our flesh. Because we actually know uh, a parallel passage in Mark 1 Verse 35, it says in Luke's gospel, he went out to a solitary place. Well, Mark's gospel says in the same exact uh, sequence of events, it gives us a little bit more insight. It actually says in chapter 1, verse 35, he went out there to pray. He went out there to pray. And so uh, Luke 5, again, um, uh, you know, in verses 15 to 16, uh, it says that he, he had this pattern in his ministry as well. As the news spreads about him, we'll read it uh, uh, next Sunday. It says in verse 15 to 16, he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So Jesus here, he's cranking, he's building momentum, he's rebuking demons. The crowds are forming, but he goes away to seek God. He goes away to recharge and refresh himself. 
in God alone. And this was a pattern. It was a pattern in his ministry, and it must be a pattern in our personal lives, and it must be a pattern in our church. That's why we say have a quiet time every day, because our quiet time is that opportunity to get rid of the chatter, right, and to, to connect to God and to be strengthened uh, by the Spirit to face the day. And that's why we encourage people to do it in the morning. It's not out of legalism. It's, it's so we can face the day uh, strengthened in Christ. That's why we need to have spiritual retreats as a church. That's why we need to have spiritual retreats personally. That's why I think you should go on holiday. Go on holiday, absolutely. But don't just go on holiday to indulge in the flesh. Go on holiday to get recharged and refreshed in your walk with God. The Jews, and on the Sabbath, they, they, they sought God, but they also had family time. They also encouraged play. Uh, you know, they, they encourage husbands and wives to, to even spend time together romantically. They, they believe it was all part of what God would do to refresh you on the Sabbath. And so it doesn't have to just be a, a religious break, if you understand what I'm saying there. Um, it's so much more than that, because God wants to refresh us and renew us so he can get us back out there uh, to do great things. To do great things. You know, do you have that rhythm in your life? Do you have that rhythm in your life? As a church, do we have that rhythm in the things that we do and the things uh, that we approach a, a weekly Sabbath time? Uh, Jesus had it. I believe we need to have it as well. And it's quite interesting um, when you look at the, uh, the, the Old Testament because um, we know God, he, he commanded the Jews to have the Sabbath day, which was the seventh day. And we know as he created the world on the, on, in six days, then the seventh day he rested, which eventually became uh, the Sabbath for the Jews. And so, so, so God worked toward rest. He created for six days, then he rested. Uh, but what's interesting is humans were created on the sixth day, right? And their first full day is the seventh day, which is actually the Sabbath day. So the first full day of human, the first humans, Adam and Eve, was the Sabbath. And so we're, we're, we're meant to work toward rest, but we're also meant to work from rest. And most of us, I think, tend to err more toward rest, working toward rest, rather than also working from rest. And I believe Jesus, uh, he, he demonstrates uh, and lives both. We must learn this pattern in ministry. Otherwise, we teach the truth, but we get cold and dry and scattered as we do it. We must learn to do this. We, otherwise, we, we confront evil, but we do it in a self-righteous Harsh and mean way. You know, we start throwing hand grenades instead of flowers, right? And we don't get enough rest. Uh, we must do this or we'll show compassion, but it'll be out of duty, not delight. We'll show compassion, but it'll be with a woe-to-me attitude. We must learn to renew our strength spiritually to have a real and lasting ministry for Jesus. We must get quiet time, go to God and find that strength so we can do everything when needed. And Jesus, again, is a great example of just that. And so three things here we looked at tonight. Uh, you know, let's let's not get too fancy here. Let's not get too flashy. Let's continue to be more and more like Jesus. That's the whole point of studying the Gospel of Luke, right? Uh, may the master of life remind us of the master plan for ministry. Grassroots stuff. All of us can follow Jesus in these things. Teaching truth. Caring compassion and Sabbath strength in the Birmingham Church of Christ said. Amen. Amen. Thank you.